What a really significant, special day. I could not be more excited uh, to be here to be able to celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ with you. Um, and in fact, because of that, I'm excited. We've got a lot to talk about. Um, I'm going to skip the chit-chat or the cutesy stories, and we're going to just dive in uh, to the study of God's Word and just celebrate what He's done. Um, so if you have your Bibles, turn uh, to John chapter 20. Um, if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, you can raise your hand and one of our ushers will put a Bible in your hands. And if you don't own a Bible, um, hold on to that one. Uh, that's our gift to you. Um, but if, you, uh, if you'd rather to, you can follow along as we read through the scripture here on the screen. Um, while you're turning there, John chapter 20, um, let me say one or two things as way of introduction to what we're going to talk about today. Um, today is Easter, hence the, their Easter egg shirt, I know. I'm wearing purple today. Um, today is Easter, and there are, there are basically two ways that you can approach Easter, okay? Basically two ways that you can come at Easter. Um, you can come at Easter as if it's this symbol or this principle, right, within nature, like there's new beginning, there's new life, like the, you know, the dawn, you know, springtime, the dawn comes after the dark. You can approach it as if it's some principle, or you can approach Easter as if it's an actual, it's a celebration of an actual historical event, okay? And that's what we're going to do today. We're celebrating today an actual historical event. We believe that Jesus did not just you know, that he doesn't just live on in spirit, that he doesn't just live on in, in principle, like through his teachings, but we believe that he literally, physically, bodily rose from the dead. And, and, and let me tell you, I'll, I'll go so far as to say that if I'm wrong in this, if we are wrong in this, we, we might as well close up shop and go over to Bill's Cafe and bombard them and just go eat some good food, okay? Um, Paul said that if we were wrong in that, that if Jesus Christ did not literally, physically rise from the dead, then we are fools, our faith is useless, and that we are to be pitied above all men. That's what he said. We believe that Jesus literally, physically rose from the dead. And if he did not, then, then honestly, Christianity has nothing to say. It has no hope, no inspiration. We're wasting our time here. There's no real transformative power if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Uh, N.T. Wright, he's a great theologian. He said it like this. He said, if Easter means that Jesus Christ is only raised in a spiritual sense, then it's only about me and finding a new dimension in my spiritual life. But if Jesus Christ is truly risen from the dead, Christianity becomes good news for the whole world. Easter means that in a world where injustice and violence and degradation are endemic, God is not prepared to tolerate such things. And that we will work and we will plan with all the energy of God to implement the victory of Jesus over them all. He said, take away Easter, and Karl Marx was probably right to accuse Christianity of ignoring problems within the world. Take away Easter, and Freud was probably right to say that Christianity is just wish fulfillment. Take Easter away, he said, and Nietzsche was probably right to say that Christianity is for wimps. But Easter is real. Easter happened. Christianity is not just some optimistic collection of stories or principles or teachings or doctrines or ideas. Christianity is based around, it is centered around an actual historical event, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. Um, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if this is all a sham, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, uh, and, and he's just some deluded guy who, who claimed at one point to be God, uh, you know, and, and, and that he rose from the dead, if he, if he just claimed to be God but wasn't true, then he's just a nutcase or a liar, and we should condemn him as such. But if he is God in the flesh, and if he did rise from the dead, and if he did defeat sin and death once and for all, that changes everything, doesn't it? That changes everything. 
We cannot come to him anymore as just another interesting guy or as a good teacher with some interesting things to say or just some other historical figure. If he is God, if he did rise from the dead, we must approach him as our Lord and our Savior. Those are the only two options. He's a nutcaser and a liar, or he's the Lord. Um, Larry King was once asked, you know, who he would interview, if he could interview anybody throughout history, who would you interview and what would you ask him? And Larry King said, I would interview Jesus. And he said, what I would ask him is if he was actually born of a virgin. Okay, was his mom really a virgin? Because if he was actually a virgin, then that makes him no mere mortal. He is who he says he is. He is God in the flesh. And if he is God in the flesh and he really did what he said he did, he really did rise again, it changes everything. That's what Larry King was getting at. He said, he said if, if, Je- if Jesus really is God, that changes everything. It changes everything on the spectrum of, of the world stage. So there's no, no question more important for us to answer than that question right there. Is Jesus God? Did he rise from the dead? And the last couple of Easter's here, what we've done is we've spent the bulk of our time actually looking at the historical evidence for the resurrection. We looked at the fact of the empty tomb. We looked at the testimony of the eyewitnesses. We looked at the long-term impact that, that Jesus' resurrection had on the lives of his followers. So we, the last two Easter's, we did that. We're, we're going to go a different direction today. But I wanted to begin our time, our study today, by encouraging you. If, if you are having those questions, is this legitimate? Is this real? Did this actually happen? And you're, and you're, you're doing some study. You're asking some questions. You're doing some investigation. Number one, I want to con- commend you for that. Not condemn you. I want to commend you. <laughs> we condemn people who have questions at this church. No, we, we com- I want to commend you for that. And I want to encourage you. There is no better use of your time than coming to understand who Jesus is and what he did. Okay? In fact, um, I actually went out this last week and I bought several copies of a book that really helped me wrestle through some of these same questions. And so if you're at a place possibly of investigation and asking questions and, and you feel like maybe you could benefit from some additional resources for study, would you come and see me immediately after the service? And I want to put a book in your hands and I'm not, don't pay for it. This is going to be my gift to you just as a way to encourage you to keep asking those questions. Okay? That being said, let's get at it. Okay? Sorry, that was a long introduction. Um, we're going to take, uh, take a look today at what happened on that Sunday. What happened after Jesus was arrested by the authorities? He was tortured. He was crucified. His dead body was taken off of the cross. He was wrapped in fine linen. He was placed inside a tomb that was carved out of rock. A big stone was rolled in front of it. That all happened on Friday. We're going to take a look at what happened on Sunday. Okay, John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. By the way, the guy who wrote that is the one who ran faster. You notice that he put that little detail in there? I love that. Just, just a heads up, I beat him. I love that. Um, stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. 
Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Now, let me uh, share briefly here, three initial observations I had as I was studying through this passage this week. And then what I want to do is I want to point out three gifts that are offered to you and me today as a result of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, okay? Three initial observations and then three gifts that he gives as a result of his ministry, okay? Observation number one, okay? The stone was rolled away. The stone was rolled away. I know it's Captain Obvious. Uh, Have you ever asked, why was the stone rolled away? Why was it rolled away? Most of us probably grew up, you might even be thinking this out, most of us probably grew up thinking, well, what do you mean the stone had to be rolled away so Jesus could get out? He was trapped inside. But don't you see how, how weird of thinking that is when we think, you know, death cannot hold him down. Death cannot hold him back, but he's stuck inside a tomb. He's trapped. So God or some angel has to come and move the stone away. What I want to suggest to you today is that the stone was not rolled away so that Jesus could get out, but so that you and I can get in. He moved the stone so that we could see and experience the truth of the resurrection. Perhaps you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus. Um, And maybe you've never really heard or understood uh, the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done. Uh, Maybe your head is just swimming with doubts and you've never been willing to take that step. Maybe you've been hesitant to let go of some things in your life that you know that if Jesus were to actually be king, if he were to actually sit on the throne of your heart, that you'd actually... You know that there'd be some things you'd have to let go of, and you're afraid to do that. I don't know the reason, but maybe you're here today, and you've never placed your faith in Jesus. Would you be willing today to consider for the next few minutes as we talk that perhaps God has you here today for a very specific reason, not just because this is what your family does on Easter, not just because your spouse dragged you or or you, you had to come for whatever reason. Would you consider for just a few minutes that perhaps You are here today for a very specific purpose. April 20th, 2014 has significance. Um, Would you consider that maybe, just maybe, God bringing you into this place today is him rolling away that stone? This is an opportunity where you get to actually peer into the empty tomb and see truth. You get to look in and see Jesus is alive and he is well, and you get to hear what that means. The stone was rolled away that that day because God wants us to see and hear the truth and have the opportunity to respond in faith. And that leads me to my second observation, that this this story here that I read to you in John 20 has a whole lot to say about the nature of faith. It has a whole lot that we need to understand about the true nature of faith. It's always boggled my mind um, that Jesus would say for years, literally years, to his disciples, I'm going to be handed to the authorities, I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to rise again on the third day. And when it goes down, 
when it actually happens, no disciple is actually there on the third day, even just to say, well, let's just go, maybe he'll do it. Let's just go by chance that maybe he'll actually come through and it'll happen. No disciple even gives him that, okay? Isn't, isn't, that, isn't that insane? See, Mary Magdalene is a perfect example of this. this, is, this is, Mary Magdalene is a woman who had been a recipient of God's power and grace. Remember, Jesus had actually cast a demon out of Mary Magdalene. Jesus had restored this woman out of a life of prostitution, and Mary had begun to travel with him, and, and she had heard his teachings, and she had seen him do all these miracles, and she saw him raise people from the dead, okay? She saw Jesus make all of these promises, and he always came through. He never failed. Mary Magdalene heard Jesus make this claim that, I'm going to die on, on a cross. I'm going to be crucified, he was specific. I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to rise again on the third day. But look what, look what Mary does. She comes in, right? She does show up on the third day, but she's got spices and, and stuff to, to prepare his dead body. Okay? She's coming to, to, to treat his dead body. So she comes, and, and she sees the empty tomb, and the body is gone. And what does she say? Who moved the body? Who moved the body? And just a few minutes after that, she actually stoops down to look inside the empty tomb again, and she sees two angels there, and she... She says, angels, who moved the body? <laughs> then she turns around and sees Jesus and says, somebody moved the body. Do you, do you see what that says about our natural condition? Do you see just how spiritually blind we are? What a great, uh, what a great picture of, of our natural state. We are not capable of true saving faith until Jesus intervenes. Remember how he did it too? Remember? She, she's talking to him as if he's somebody else and he says, Mary. Remember in John 10, Jesus is called the good shepherd and he will, he will call the sheep out by name and they will hear his voice and they will recognize him and they will come to him. That's exactly what happened. Jesus, the good shepherd, says, Mary. She recognizes his voice. His, her eyes are open and she comes to him and embraces him. We are not capable of true saving faith until Jesus opens our eyes to see. Now, this is important for us to understand for, for two reasons, okay? The first reason is for those of us who are here who, who have strong faith, deep faith. If you, hear, or if you are here and you have this deep, strong faith, praise God for that. That's fantastic, okay? But understand that your faith, any faith that you have, is a gift from God. It is not something that you have conjured up or that you have manufactured that you should take pride in, that you should boast about. That's what Paul said. Faith is a gift from God, lest any man should boast. That means that if there comes a point in time where you are surrounded by those who have maybe weak faith, people who aren't as far as you think they should be, you have no grounds to look down on that person. There is no room for you to judge that person. Because any faith, any progress that you have made in your walk with Christ is a gift from God. Left to our own natural devices. I don't care who you are. Everybody in this room, myself included, we are Mary staring at Jesus saying, who moved the body? Okay? That, that's one side of the coin. On the other side of the coin, it's this. Those of you who are here who have weak faith or who have no faith because you're afraid, I, I just know that my faith would be weak. Okay? If you are here today and you have weak faith, you should be encouraged by this. Okay? We are told... Uh, all the time that, you know, we are not saved by the strength of our faith, but we are saved by the object of our faith. If you have weak faith here today, you struggle to believe, you've got fears, you've got doubts, do not despair, do not be discouraged. You are not saved by the strength or the quality or the durability of your faith. You are saved by the object of your faith. What or whom is the object of our faith? Jesus. 
Jesus is the object of our faith. He's the one that saves. We've used this illustration before, and I'm going to keep using it until I come up with something better or I read something better. Um, Consider the stool that I'm sitting on today. Think about this stool. Imagine I come at this stool, I'm about to give a message, and I come at it, and it's a weak, flimsy, frail, fragile stool. Poor craftsmanship, all right? And I come at it, but I come at it with this tremendous amount of faith. I see it, and it looks all rickety, but I just come at it, I'm like, you know what? It's going to be fine. I just know that that stool is going to hold me up. I just, I name it and I claim it. I believe in that stool. I I just know that it's going to hold me. And I come and then I sit down and then I fall and everybody laughs at me and I feel like an idiot. Okay. Or you can look at it on the flip side, right? There is just a sturdy, strong stool, great craftsmanship. Just, it just, it's going to hold me, but I come at it and I just kind of walk tentatively up here and I think, you know, I've just had a lot of bad experiences with stools in the past. I don't know if this is going to hold me, I just, I'm serious, I'm filled with doubts, I'm, I'm filled with fears, I'm going to fall again, everybody's going to laugh again. I just don't think this stool is going to hold me up. But finally, trembling, I finally make my way down and I sit down on that stool and I'm fine. The stool turns out to be strong enough. Here's my point. Whether I am supported or whether I fall down does not depend on the strength of my faith. It depends on the, the object of my faith. Do you understand? Whether I'm supported or whether I fall does not depend on the strength of my, of my faith. It depends on the strength of the object of my faith. I might be filled with fears. I might be filled with doubts. But how much faith do I need in this stool for it to hold me up? Just enough for me to sit down, right? Just enough for me to actually park it. Do um, you remember the place in the Gospels where, where uh, the father brings his son to Jesus and, and the father says to Jesus, he says, Jesus, will you please uh, uh, cast this demon out of my son? Please get this demon out of my child. And Jesus says, yes, if you believe. That's the caveat. He says, he says sure, if you believe. And, what, and remember what the man says? He says, I believe, help me in my unbelief. In other words, I want to believe. I really want to believe. Help me because I don't believe. I want to believe. Help me in my unbelief. What does Jesus do? He heals the boy. He heals the child. You might be here today and you might be keeping your distance from Jesus because you might be thinking, I've got too many doubts. I've got too many fears. I I, I just, frankly, I don't know if I could go the distance. I think my faith would be too weak. May I make a suggestion to you? Go to him and tell him that. Go to him and tell him. Just simply say, Lord, help me. I want to believe Help me in my unbelief. If I understand the encounter with Jesus and that man and his son, if I understand that correctly, if you say that to Jesus, that is faith. If you come to him and say, God, I want to believe. I'm having trouble. Help me believe. I think that that is actually faith. If your faith is weak today, don't get discouraged. Don't despair. Our salvation rests in the object of our faith, not in the strength or the quality of the faith that you can muster up. Okay? Last observation. Look at Jesus' timing. Uh, look at Jesus' timing here in John 20. Let me, let me just uh, remind us how it all went down. Mary, and I actually found out uh, from some of the other Gospels that she's not alone. Several other women were with her. Mary and these women go to the tomb to go and prepare Jesus' body. They get to the tomb. They see that the stone has been rolled away. The body is gone. Um, they freak out, and they run back to the other disciples. They tell the disciples, Peter and John, by the way, were the only two that actually took them seriously, okay? And they actually come running back with Mary, uh, and, and they come in and they look inside the tomb. Uh, they walk away bewildered because the body's gone. Everybody walks away 
The women walk away, Peter and John walk away, everybody walks away except one, Mary Magdalene. And it's here that Jesus shows up. So the question we've got to ask is, why did he wait? Because there's been a whole lot of foot traffic coming to and from that tomb that morning. Why doesn't Jesus show up in front of Peter, the leader of the apostles? Why doesn't Jesus show up in front of John, who I believe is Jesus' best friend on the planet? Why does, it, why does he wait and show up to all, all people to Mary Magdalene? Why her? Why does he wait and allow Mary, of all people, to be the first eyewitness to his resurrection? If you think about it, Mary could, in essence, be considered the very first Christian. Because a Christian is somebody who believes that Jesus died and rose again from the dead. A Christian is somebody who has had an encounter with the risen Lord. And at this point in history, Mary is the only person of whom those things could be true. Mary's the first Christian. Why would Jesus choose her? And, and I don't think he did this randomly, did he? We, we've been studying the Gospel of John, and what we've seen is that Jesus does not do things uh, randomly or on accident. He's incredibly intentional in what he does and the statements that he makes. Why did Jesus choose her? Think about it. Jesus chose a woman, not a man. And you know that in that society, in that day, women were considered inferior to men. Jesus chose a reformed mental patient, right? She, had to, she was possessed by a demon at one point. She's not exactly a pillar of the community, okay? Jesus chose somebody who was on the support staff. She was on the support team. She wasn't one of the leaders. She wasn't on the leadership team. Jesus chose the woman with the dark past, not the one with the clean record. Why would he do that? Again, I think the statement that he's making is absolutely clear. He's saying, it does not matter who you are. It does not matter what you've done. The salvation that I'm offering to you, the salvation that I have acquired through my death and my resurrection is not based on what you have done or what you haven't done. It's not based even on what you will do. It's based on what I have done. That's what he's saying. He didn't choose Peter the rock. He didn't choose John the beloved. He chose Mary the prostitute. It doesn't get any more clear than that. Psalm 103 says that he does not treat us as our sins deserve, nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. Thank God for that. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Do not tell me that you are beyond the reach of Christ. Jesus, if you are here today and you think, God's grace, that's all well and good. You know, somebody else might deserve that. Somebody else might be able to acquire that. But me, I am too far gone. I've done too much. I've run too far. Do not tell me that. Jesus didn't choose Peter the Rock or John the Beloved. He chose Mary the prostitute. So let's finish now by taking a look at what the resurrection accomplished. Jesus revealed his resurrection first to Mary, and she received three gifts as a result. Peace, purpose, and power. Peace, purpose, and power. Now, I, I just, it just, just kind of hit me this week, so bear with me as I try to explain this first one. Um, when Mary looks inside the empty tomb, what did she see? Remember when she stoops down and looks inside the empty tomb? Do you remember what she saw? Say it loud. Angels. That's right. And I think, Connor, you said two angels. That's important. It wasn't one. It was two angels. That's important. And the writer tells us exactly where they're, they're uh, sitting, exactly where they're placed. And you know that from the gospel writers, they don't include all these unnecessary details. They're very particular about what they put into the gospels. They leave out a lot of details, but they include a lot of details that are important for us to see. 
We've got one angel who sits on this side and one angel who sits on that side. Now, as Connor said that there were two, why were there two angels, not one? Because almost never in the Bible will you see two angels delivering messages. Almost always, it's either one or it's a multitude. You don't see two angels delivering one message. I think that what's happening, when, when Mary looked into that tomb that day and she saw that picture, I think what it was meant to do, it was, it was meant to draw our minds back to the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem. If you remember, there was a temple in Jerusalem, and right in the middle of that temple, there was a small area that was designated for the glory of God. That's where the glory of God dwelt. And if you, were, if you wanted to meet with God, that's the place where you would go. That's where the priests would go and to be in the presence of God, relate with God. And inside the Holy of Holies, there was this special, this special box called the Ark of the Covenant. Okay? And on the Ark of the Covenant, it had a golden lid, and there were these two uh, angels, these two uh, cherubim placed on one side, and one on the other, and they, they, they rested here in the presence of God, dwelt in and among them right there on what was called the mercy seat. So, do you see where I'm going with this? Do you see the picture that I think is being painted in the empty tomb? If you want to come into the presence of God, we do not go into the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem anymore. You go to the empty tomb. If you want to enter into the presence of God, you enter into a relationship with God, you enter it through the empty tomb, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, when I say that, let me, let me explain to you why this is necessary. Because when I say that the, the, that the resurrection brings us peace, I'm not saying that the res- resurrection just brings us a nice, fuzzy feeling. Like it just makes us feel good, although it does do that. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying that the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ brings us peace with God. And there's a difference. It brings us peace with God. Because we read all throughout the scriptures, and I think we actually know this even just through personal experience, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not even one. In other words, there's nobody on the planet who does what is right. There is nobody on the planet who can stand before a holy God clean and pure and right. And, and what the Bible actually tells us is that not only did we just, you know, make some mistakes and we just kind of made some little foibles here and there, but that what the Bible actually says is that we are uh, at enmity with God. We are we're acting in hostility towards him. You know, he's, he's our creator. He's our rightful king. And yet we've rejected him. We've rebelled against him and we've taken the throne that belongs to him. In other words, in essence, what we've done is we've committed high treason. We've rejected our king. We've committed treason and the punishment for treason is death. So the Bible says the wages of our sin is death, separation from God. And here's the deal. This, this absolutely grieves God's heart. It breaks his heart because he created us that we might know him and enjoy him and reflect him. But he's a just God. He cannot, he cannot look at our crimes and simply sweep them under the rug as if they never happened. There would be no justice so because God loves us so much, what he did was he set into motion a rescue plan. He sent his son into this world not to condemn us, but to save us. Jesus lived the righteous life that you and I were meant to live. And then he took the punishment that belongs to us. He died the death that we should have died. He took the punishment that we deserved for our sins. He died on that cross, absorbing every ounce of the justice of God, the wrath of God. Every sin that I've ever committed... Every sin that you have ever committed, he took into his heart and he paid the price for it on our behalf. And so listen, here is the question that Easter answers. 
This is, this is what Easter is all about. This is the question that Easter, Easter answers right here. How do we really know, how do we really know that his death covered over all of my sin? How do we really know that his death was sufficient to pay for every sin, every ounce of rebellion in my heart? And the answer is Easter. The answer is the resurrection. The way, I told you, the wages of sin is death. And we, so, so we know that the payment is done because he's no longer dead. He's alive. That's why we celebrate. We say it like this sometimes. It's like, it's like a criminal who's been sentenced for a crime, right? And he goes to, into jail and, and he, he, he goes for the allotted time that he's been sentenced. And when the sentence has been completed, the man walks out free, Right? The man walks out free. The law no longer has any claim over him. He's done his time. And this is exactly what the resurrection says. Jesus took our penalty. He paid. He did the sentence in full and then walked out a free man. He walked out free. The law no longer has any claim over him. The resurrection is proof that it's done. It's proof. Think about it like this. April 15th, this last Tuesday, everybody filed for their taxes? Hopefully. Some of you, your stress level just raised up a couple notches right? What happens in a month if somebody comes knocking on your door and they got an IRS name tag on and they say, uh, essentially, um, you wrote off X amount of dollars in charitable giving this year. How do we really know that you're telling the truth? How do we know that you paid that full amount? Prove it. What do you do? You walk back in your house. You're very organized. So you walk back in your house. You, you pull out, you, you get your file cabinet right? You pull out your giving statement. You walk back to the door and you hand it to them. You walk out to, and you hand them that receipt and you say, look, here's my proof. Paid in full. Here's my receipt. Or you, you go across the street after the church, after church today and you go to Target and you, you know, pick up a few last minute things for your Easter party this afternoon. And as you're walking back out with your family, you got your bags in hand, the security guard comes and he tackles you to the ground. And then, um, they're very strict over there. Um, I'm just kidding. But, but and, and, he said, and he accuses you of stealing the stuff that's in your bag. What do you do? You whip out that receipt and you hold it in his face and you say, paid in full. Paid in full. The resurrection is God's way of giving us a receipt. The resurrection is God stamping paid in full across all of history, past, present, and future. And please hear me, listen, because this will happen. When Satan or the world starts accusing you again of your sin and starts trying to convince you that it's too much this time. You've done it again. It's too, it's too big this time. And starts reminding you of your past and starting to tell you it's too much. God wasn't expecting you. You surprised him with your sin. When Satan starts accusing you and telling you that you are unforgivable, that your sin was too much, you whip out that receipt in his face and you say, paid in full. It's done. He's alive. He's no longer dead. The resurrection means, listen, the resurrection means you can have peace with God fully, finally, once and for all. You can go to sleep at night. You can wake up in the morning knowing that your sin has been uh, taken care of, that you can stand before God, clean and pure, without anything standing in the way. Second gift is this. Jesus gave Mary purpose. These last two will be very quick. Jesus gave Mary purpose. He set her on a mission. 
Jesus says essentially to Mary, he says, go to my brothers, share this with them, tell them what you've seen. Uh, I'm ascending to the right hand of the Father. He says, I'm ascending to the Father. And essentially what he's saying is, I'm going to go sit in victory at the right hand of the Father. In other words, death is dead. I've done it. Mission accomplished. I'm making all things new. So essentially what Jesus is doing is he's telling Mary Magdalene, go preach the gospel to the disciples. Go share the gospel with the apostles. How amazing is that? Mary, the prostitute, the demon-possessed woman, gets to go and share the gospel. She gets to a witness to the disciples. The Roman Catholic Church calls Mary Magdalene the apostle to the apostles. I love that. Doesn't this just completely destroy any false assumptions that we have about what it takes to be usable by God? This goes uh, really well with what we talked about a couple months ago when Jesus spoke to that Samaritan woman at the well, right? In, in her day, in her society, she was... She was a gender outcast. She was a racial outcast. She was a moral outcast. Everybody had just written this woman off. But then she comes and meets Jesus. And Jesus opens her eyes to who he is and what he's all about, what he's going to do. And and literally within a matter of minutes, she is running into the closest town and she is telling everybody that she can find, come meet this Jesus. I think he's the Messiah. And this massive revival erupts. She had known Jesus for literally 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. And she's doing these unbelievable things. For the glory of God. We've said here before that far too often our highest goal in life, our highest priority in life is simply to maintain our current lifestyle or to maybe knock it up a peg or two. Far too often our highest goal is simply to maintain our lifestyle. But when God saves you, he saves you to something. He saves you to a new and a nobler purpose than that. Verse 18 says that Mary runs to the disciples and she announces, I love the word, they said she announces, I have seen the Lord. Do you know that if you're a Christian in here today, that that is what you've been commissioned to do as well? Before Jesus ascended in Acts 1, it tells us that we are to act as witnesses to the resurrection. That's our commission. Act as witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Go make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey. With our words, with our deeds, We go out and we announce, we have seen the Lord. We have experienced the presence and the power of the risen Christ. Come and see. That's our mandate. What a great day to do that, right? When you're out, I'm not sure what you're doing this afternoon, but when you're out and about this afternoon, tell somebody. Tell somebody about your experience with the risen Lord. Tell them you have seen the Lord. You have heard the Lord. You have experienced the Lord. Lastly, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ brings power. Now, this one's a little more difficult to see in the passage. Uh, that, that the resurrection brings power, but, I, but it's really important that we do see it. Look again at verse 17. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Again, he said, Don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. That's a wee bit confusing, okay? Because it's... it's She's overjoyed. Her eyes have just been opened. She's overjoyed as she recognizes who Jesus is, and then she just comes and embraces him, right? She embraces him, and then he essentially says, Mary, don't hold on to me so tight. Don't worry. I'm ascending to the Father. I've not yet ascended to the Father. Don't hold on to me so tight. Don't worry. I'm I'm ascending to the Father, and that wouldn't make a whole lot of sense uh, unless you knew the rest of the story, Because in another place, Jesus actually makes a promise that when he ascends to the Father, that he will never leave nor forsake them. Right? That he actually says that in Matthew 28. When he's ascending to the Father, he's he's leaving and he says, I'll never leave you. That's kind of weird, right? 
I'll, ne- I'll never leave you. I'm leaving. Okay? <laughs> Jesus promised. He said, when I ascend to the Father, I am going to send my spirit. The Holy Spirit begins to live in and among us. And he says that when, when I'm ascending to the Father and this Holy Spirit comes and he lives in and among you, you can experience the presence and the power and the love and the peace day or night. Day and night. You see, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ does not just pay the penalty for our sins, although it does definitely do that. It does something even more. It connects you and I with an ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not just a, a one decision you make, you're, you're wiped clean, and then you go on until you stand before him one day. No, when you, when you receive who Jesus is as your Lord and your Savior, he takes the penalty for your sins, he makes you clean, but then he makes his home in your heart, and your life is changed, and your relationships are changed, and your perspectives are changed, and your hopes and your aspirations are changed. The Holy Spirit comes and he makes his home in our hearts. The Bible tells us that he begins to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. We become little image bearers. That's actually what the word Christian means, is little Christs. If you become a Christian today, or if you are a Christian today, you are a little Christ, and the Spirit is slowly, lovingly, um, just conforming you and shaping you and molding you and growing you into Christ, to look like Christ. Um, And along that line of thinking, I love that Mary thought that he looked like a gardener. I knew you'd like that, Rod. I knew it. I love, that, I love that Mary thinks he looks like a gardener. And you know why? Because I think he's, I, I think he is, I think this ties in well with what we celebrated last week. Do you remember what last week is called? Palm Sunday. Why is it called Palm Sunday? Because, because when Jesus came into Jerusalem in that procession, he came in triumphantly and everybody around him was waving palm branches. Okay, and they were throwing palm branches down as he, he would walk over. He, they were waving these palm branches. Why would they wave palm branches? Well, because they believed that the coming Messiah was going to usher in this new kingdom that was going to restore not just you and I, but all of creation to its full glory. Okay? There were all these prophecies in the Old Testament that said that the trees would literally dance and sing and clap. I take it back. Probably not literally. But that the trees would dance and sing and clap for joy. It would be great if it was literal, right? If you saw trees dancing. Um, but that's, that's what I think the palm branches are all about. Okay, it, it probably wasn't literal, but the idea is that there is this new life that is going to spring up in all of creation. Paul says in, in Romans 1 that, that, that creation has been groaning in anticipation for their, the return of the king. The idea is that it's, it's like all of creation, you and me and all, all of nature, that all of creation has been living under this great shadow because of sin. We have been shaded by sin. And what happens when plant rod, what happens when plants live in shade? Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot, right? Very, very little. Um, I know this from personal experience. I told you guys uh, last week, um, we've been trying to uh, grow grass in our front yard. Front, front yard. And, and the first 10 feet of our lawn off of our house, pretty much almost all day, uh, seems like it's just sitting in uh, shade, sitting under shadow. Um, and so every day I come home after work and I like analyze it. I'm like, I think that's a new sprout right there. You know, I just like, I'm just analyzing, just hoping that this thing is finally going to burst forth. It's incredibly frustrating. What is my lawn missing? The sun, the light of the sun. And I think if I could just get this patch of dirt somehow into the presence of the sun, then all of this potential that has been locked in those little seeds would burst forth. 
If I could just get this patch of dirt into the presence of the sun somehow, then all of this potential that has been locked up within those seeds would burst forth. The Bible says that everything in this world has been living in shadow. Everything in this world has been dormant, and that includes you and me. We are but shadows of what we were designed to be when living in the light of the presence of Christ. So with that in mind, consider here what Jesus is saying. When he's, he's saying, Mary, Mary, there's no need to hold on to me like that. I mean, she, she's holding on to him saying like, you know, I just, I love you. so. I, I, I thought I lost you. I'm never going to lose you again. I'm never letting go. And Jesus essentially says, Mary, there's no need to hold on to me because I'm sending my Holy Spirit to plant that seed in your heart and he will shine the light of my presence into your heart that you might burst forth into the woman that you were created to be, that you might be that new creation. Yes, it's a process. Yes, it takes time. But Jesus is the good and faithful gardener. He is. He plants the seed. Paul tells us his light shines in our hearts. He plants a seed. His light shines in our hearts. And what blossoms is a new creation. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in those who place their faith in him. That's what the scriptures tell us. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ brings us peace, brings us purpose, and it brings us power. Now, as we close, well, I do want to ask you three questions. In light of what we just said, do you have peace with God? Are you confident that this is a, please consider this. Are you confident that you have peace with God? Is there, is there any sin that is standing in your way? Or are you confident that you have given it to the Lord, that Christ has, has redeemed you and forgiven you and made you new? Do you know purpose? Are you living for that which you were created? Is it your highest goal to know and enjoy and reflect Jesus Christ? Or are you still living for yourself? And do you know, have you experienced the power of God in your life? Are you experiencing the light of his presence in your heart? Is it growing you? Is it shaping you to to think and to act and to love like Christ? And if the answer to those questions are no, today's the day. Maybe today's the day. Surrender. Let go. Face it, you make a lousy king, right? You make a lousy king. Jesus makes a great king. I'll tell you from experience. It's not always fun, but he makes a great king. It's not always easy, but he makes a great king. Ask Jesus. He he has paid with his own blood. He was forsaken by God the Father for us that we might not be forsaken. He was separated so we didn't need to be separated. He was separated so that you can be reconciled to God. He, he bought the forgiveness that you so desperately need. Would you take it today? Would you say, yes, forgive me of my sins. Make me new. Live with me. Be the, be the king of my life. Take the throne back. Take the throne back and help me to live for you from this day forward. Are you ready to do that? Many of you in here have already done that, but there might be a handful of you who haven't. What I want to do today is I want to... I want, to, I want to help. If you are ready to make that decision, I want to help you. Um, I want to, we're going to pray a prayer in just a minute. And there is no magic at all in the words that I'm going to say. But if you are interested in, 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 in if you are ready, not just if you, are, if you are ready to say yes to Jesus, you can pray along with me something like this. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Again, if you're ready to ask 
Christ to be your Lord and your Savior. The word Lord simply means master. If you are ready for him to be your king and your Savior, you can pray something like this. God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that my sin has separated me from you. God, I need your forgiveness. Thank you for dying on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe that you rose again on the third day proving that the penalty for my sin is done. It's finished. And that you're offering me forgiveness today. And God, I receive that forgiveness. I know that you're making me clean through your blood. Be my Savior Be my king. Help me to live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.